1: Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our very special guest. He's Dennis Rainey, host of Family Life Today. Again, the new book, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, available through Bay Area Christian bookstores as well as through the Family Life website, familylife.com. That's familylife.com. You know, just before the break, Dennis, we were talking a bit about uh, learning how to act in a courageous fashion. And you mentioned some of the things that are besetting the American family today, whether we're talking about uh, kids that are trapped under the force of peer pressure that leads to sexually acting out, rebellion, pornography, drugs, the whole list. Some people might say, well, it just seems as if sin is more abounding these days. I have to wonder, Dennis, in the grand scheme of things, is it a case where somehow there's more sin let loose on the world today, or is part of this just a lack of light? In other words, could we stem the tide? Could we turn the direction of what's happening in our society and in the American home today, if more men would step up, be a, a, a husband to the wives, be a father to their children, do the kind of, of mentoring and modeling that is necessary, and in particular, help young boys and girls understand what their responsibilities ought to be and where the limits should be?
2: Great question. And uh, I'm going to let Isaiah, I'm going to let Isaiah answer or cast a little light on the answer. In Isaiah 59, Isaiah is talking about how bad the day was. He says, we growl like bears, we moan like doves. They're looking at the injustice, the lack of mercy in the culture, and it's just causing a grief that that just causes people to shrivel up and, and to just retreat. And then it says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. Mm. The picture here is that things get so bad that the, the righteous stand away from the battle with their arms folded going, you know, it's just too bad. This is all going bad. This is just, it's really, you know, there's a lot of evil taking place. And then listen to what he says. He says, For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and a brightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The picture here that Isaiah paints is that truth is not standing up, erect, in the street for people to see the standard. Instead, it's flat on its face. It's stumbled in the streets. And it says, as a result, uprightness can't enter. And then it says, truth is lacking, and as a result of truth lacking, it says, people who were actually designed by God to prey upon evil, to push back against evil, the very evil we were meant to conquer, turns around and preys upon us. It says, And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. I I think the problems that we're facing in our nation are a bunch of very small personal battles at grassroots America that if those who profess to follow Jesus Christ would begin to turn around and prey upon evil and push back against evil and say, You know what? That's indecent. Like I did in a bookstore in uh, Grand Central Station in in, in Manhattan about uh, six or eight months ago, I was there and I walked by a book and it had it had a title to a book that was a, that was a uh, it's a curse word except it's a vulgar curse word and I didn't go up with a Bible and beat the guy up who owned the store but I just I just have to tell you I was getting ready to buy some stuff and I'm not going to buy anything because I'm really offended by by your book. And it it resulted in a very healthy conversation between that shop owner and me. And you had to wonder, how many people have walked by that book? I saw a little kid looking at it, a six-year-old kid. And indecency, vulgarity, evil is encroaching in our society. And the, the statement that was made, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do what? Nothing. Nothing. And so guess what? that's what we do because we think it's somebody else's battle it's not mine well you know what i'm not trying to i'm not trying to fix every evil i can't there is a lot of evil today back to your original question do i think things are more evil today i I don't think so i think evil has more access to our lives and in terms of privacy in our homes today than has ever existed The Internet being piped into our homes, cable TV, uh, pornography is destroying a generation of boys. The the average age boys are now being being taught to look at pornography is not 13, 14, 15, and 16. It's ages 8, 9, and 10. And the hard wiring of a boy's emotional system and sexual system are not connected. And we don't even have any idea of how the devil of hell is destroying young boys and their manhood in its very inception, in the germinating stages of what it means to be a young man. And that's my assignment as a dad to attempt to build the truth into my life into my family's life so that truth hasn't stumbled in the streets truth is there pushing back against
1: evil You know, I like to liken it Dennis to the analogy of when you, you come in say you've been out for the evening with the family and you come into the house the lights are all off the room is very dark and somebody might observe as you're walking through the front door gee it's pretty dark in here but what's the first thing they call for turn on the lights This room is not necessarily in a condition of having excessive darkness. What's really happening is there is a lack of light. And I think at the core, what you're suggesting here is that godly men need to turn on the light. And as they do so, that light will dispel darkness. The good will dispel evil. And then, as you talk about the the stages, the steps of a man's life... And as he learns how to apply the principles from Scripture to lead and to protect and to serve and to model and and to defend our children, we can make a significant difference. In spite of the fact that, as you suggest, you know, evil's got an easy pipeline into our homes these days with the Internet and to cable television and all of these things that, that surely make parenting today Certainly more difficult, but not impossible, because we have a weapon that God has given to us that that is as strong today as it was when that book was first written.
2: Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave his life, I believe, in his early 30s for his faith in Germany. He refused to join Hitler's army and was ultimately uh, became a martyr for his faith in Christ. But he made this statement. He said, It's the righteous man who lives for the next generation. Uh, Someone else said, Our children are the living messengers we send to a time we will not see. Here's the question for a man, a father, a grandfather, maybe a single guy. What kind of message are you going to send to the next generation? What's your imprint on other people's lives for Jesus Christ? that leaves the mark of God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace to to imprint that on the next generations lives, so they're going to make a difference when you're
1: gone. So you're suggesting, Dennis, even today as we see a lot of debate about the debt ceiling and how we are passing this huge amount of indebtedness on to, to future generations, to our children and our grandchildren, that perhaps for the Christian man, the question of what we're going to leave, the legacy that we will leave for future generations is one of an even grander and and more critical and more serious answer, isn't it?
2: There's, in my opinion, the battleground for, for the nation, we, we certainly have to have fiscal responsibility. We have to have godly leaders in Washington, D.C., in the state houses of all 50 states. But I'm going to tell you something. America ca- has survived um, political corruption. It cannot survive the breakdown of its most basic unit, the family. No nation will survive that breakdown. Martin Luther King Jr. made this statement. He said, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And you said it a few minutes ago, Craig. I I think it's, it's our choices, the choices we make. Deciding to be God's man, and it's why I like the title of the book, Stepping Up. It's just amazing how often men use that with one another. Uh, You know, I I stepped up. I made the commitment. Um, Whether it's a single guy listening right now who's, who's avoided making the commitment of marriage, there's a lot of guys today prolonging adolescence wanting to be single and have fun and not assume responsibility well into their 30s there are even those who are sociologists Craig who are recommending that we prolong adolescence for another 10 to 15 years that's not the solution that's not the kind of men we need today we need guys who are willing to say you know what give me the ball Give me the responsibility. I'm going to fail. I may fail forward, but I'm going to step up. I'm going to attempt to make my mark for Jesus Christ and make a difference. I'm just one man. You're just one man, Craig. But, um, y- you know, each of us has given us sphere of responsibility. We-, we try to do our best. I, I-, I look at my life someday, and the-, the longer I live, the more I believe the cross is the hope for me and all of- all of humanity because we are desperately sick with selfishness and sin we have missed the mark and so it's not a matter of being perfect but it is a matter of stepping up in faith and saying God I want to be your man
1: we so often will take a look at the Sunday football game or the results of the baseball or basketball game and opine about certain players and say you know so and so just needs to step up maybe it's time now for each and every man in the faith to take that own advice Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. The new book, by the way, available through the resource ministry of Family Life at FamilyLife.com. That's FamilyLife.com. The broadcast, Family Life Today, weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. And the author of Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, our special guest on this edition of Lifeline, Dennis Rainey. Dennis, as always, an education to visit with your brother. Appreciate your time today, and we'll catch you on the radio, as they say, tomorrow at 8.30 a.m
0: privilege, Craig. Great to be with you. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: We think about the Christian experience. We try to wrap our minds around what God's grace is and what that means. And of course, we can intellectualize this. We can attribute to grace unmerited favor. We can try to think through what this means. And yet, I have to be honest with you, in the hmm, 40 years, I guess, now that I've been a Christian, as much as I think about grace and appreciate grace and experience grace and have it touch my life on a day-to-day basis, there's an aspect of grace that I don't understand. And that's probably a good thing. Because there are aspects about grace That goes so far beyond, I think, our ability to intellectualize it. This holy and righteous God, in front of whose eyes we have all sinned, as we're told in Romans three and twenty-three, dead in our transgressions, and yet, while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, God sent His only begotten Son to die on our behalf, that through that substitutionary work on the cross. We might not only be saved and forgiven, but reconciled unto him and experience grace in our day-to-day lives. Brian Christopher has written a new book called Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Bob, by the way, is CEO of Basic Gospel and host of the Daily Call-In Radio program of the same name, Basic Gospel. And, Bob, thanks so much for being with us tonight.
3: Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the time together.
1: It's an important topic, I think, because um, believers, I think, of, of any stage in their walk with Christ need to be reminded of how incredible this grace is that God has shown toward us and the totality of what it means is we see Christ as that bridge between death and life and, and what it means to be reconciled unto very God himself because of his grace for us. Um, I think ought to simply leave every Christian, again, no matter what stage they're at in their walk with Christ, ought to leave every Christian absolutely with their minds blown by this.
3: Oh, Craig, absolutely. Um, Most theologians, when they get to their later stages of life, and this has been through 2,000 years of church history, you know, when asked, you know, what is the most important subject uh, about Christianity, and they always choose the word grace. Um, because even if they've been Christians for 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, they feel like they've just uh, scratched the surface. And and grace is one of these big words. I mean, Jesus Christ is full of truth and grace. Jesus Christ is grace itself in, in essence. And when you think how big Jesus is, that's when you start to get an idea of just how big this grace of God is and how powerful it is to make us alive together with Christ. So I think it's the most important subject, the uh, most important word in the, in the Bible, apart from Jesus Christ and, and the word God itself.
1: Is it a word that we need to keep coming back to again and again and again? In other words, uh, sometimes you, you, you hear some that might suggest that this grace is a one-time experience that God showed His grace toward mankind uh, there at Calvary, we can uh, partake of that grace in our sh- salvation experience, and then once one once it 's done it 's done is, is it that way, Bob, or is it really an ongoing experience?
3: Well, it's an ongoing experience. I say in the book, you know, once grace gets started, it never ends. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And oh, yes. he said this, the Christian life starts with grace, it must continue with grace, and it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. You never can get away from it. And as soon as you start getting away from, you know, the grace, grace of God... I find that's when things start to mess up. Um, I I find that's when... You know, I get anxious, I lose peace, I've you know, I have this restlessness inside but every time I circle back to the grace of God and get a fresh look at what that exactly means in in my everyday life, things start to settle down and and the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to fill up all the spaces in in your mind, so I don't think we can ever get away from grace I, I, I know most people and many folks um, communicated as kind of first grade stuff but really it is, it is the foundation, it's the building, it's the roof, it's, it's everything about this Christian life.
0: Your book
1: title, uh, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, uh, might suggest that there's a simplicity to this, and I guess it's kind of interesting because it, 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 it's simple to the degree that Scripture lays it out for us, and yet there's a level at which I don't know that we can ever really fully understand grace, can we?
3: No, I, I don't think we can fully under, understand it, because it's it's really the essence of who Jesus is, and, and so we're ever going to be growing in our knowledge of, of Christ, and growing in the grace of God, and learning how this grace of God applies in, in everyday life, so it's a lifelong endeavor to grow in grace, and then, uh, you know, when we go to be with the Lord, when He comes back, when we all receive these resurrected bodies, we're going to stand as as testimonies to the grace of God throughout eternity. Uh, and boy just when you think of that then you realize just how powerful and how wonderful this grace really is.
1: Break it down in terms of of understanding Um, What this means when we talk about grace, Um, we say unmerited favor and uh, people might think, well, you mean like when the when the judge uh, throws out my parking ticket when I really should have gotten it anyway or (laughs) help us better understand that.
3: Okay. Well, I think that's a really good question and uh, you know, if if uh, you know, a judge throws out our parking ticket or uh a cop decides not to give us uh, a ticket when indeed we've been speeding, that's that's uh, on the mercy side of the equation. Um so that's withholding from us what we justly deserve, grace is giving to us what we do not deserve. Um, So grace is this very present, active word in our lives. So all of us, when we come into this world, we're dead in trespasses and sin. So spiritual death is a big problem we don't deserve life there's nothing that we could do to merit life there's nothing that we could do to bring it about for ourselves so God in his grace has to reach down to us even though we were dead and make us alive together with Christ so that's the first aspect of God's grace it's you know when you read that uh, passage Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith it's it's a gift of God not of ourselves well the whole context of that passage is going from death to life that God makes us alive together with Christ that's grace he gives us what we did not deserve And then it's this life of Christ that sustains us. So we're always in his favor. Nothing can separate us from his love. Um, By his grace, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. By his grace, he teaches us to say no to sin and to live righteous, upright lives. By this grace, he builds us up, he encourages us, he gives us a brand new identity, he helps us through trials and tribulations uh, in life, and he works within us to bring about his purposes in our day-to-day experience. So grace touches every aspect of our life. So I, I like to say that Most people think of grace as a word that covers the past, but actually it's a word that meets us at our point of need in in the present and moves us forward. So it's a forward-moving word uh, tied to Jesus Christ, His Spirit living within us. Um, that's just how wonderful it is.
1: Bob Christopher with us tonight. We're looking at his latest book, Simple Gospels, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. Uh, you might be a new believer in your faith and struggling through some of these questions, and, and uh, we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to get your questions answered. Maybe you've been in the, in the faith uh, walk for a lot of years, but there's still some things that you don't quite understand. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with Bob Christopher, the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Let's talk a bit about this concept that you were sharing earlier that I think is an amazing one and will help us perhaps understand a bit more about the breadth and depth of God's love for us. Um, you talked about grace and sort of the first part idea that we see it as withholding punishment. It's an idea of something that is being kept from us. So we get the speeding ticket, but the judge decides to let us go even though he knows, we know, yes, we broke the law, yes, we are deserving of this punishment, but regardless, the judge shows his quote-unquote grace and keeps the punishment from us. But the grace of God goes so much further than that, as you were suggesting before the break, Bob, because it's not just a matter of God keeping a rightly-deserved punishment from us, but then it's what he gives to us in and through that.
3: Oh, absolutely! It is it is Christ Himself living in us. Uh, I've defined God's grace as this: God's work in Jesus Christ to make us spiritually alive and to power empower us to live in this world as His children. So we we can't do that on our own, and that's that's where I missed it for so long, Craig. I I was trying to live out the the Christian life with the old adage "try harder." Every time I fell on my face, I'd get up and make promises to God, and you know I would just give it my best shot, trying as hard as I could to live the Christian life. And the harder I tr- I tried, the tighter sin's grip became in my life and when i finally understood the grace of god as as being more than merely a covering for the past that's when the christian life started to make sense that's when i really discovered how it was supposed to work jesus christ living his life in and through us And I think that's what much of the Christian world misses as far as the gospel message is concerned.
1: Well, let's elaborate on this point for a moment. You you mentioned, and I think rightfully so, the the problematic viewpoint, which unfortunately in in modern-day pop Christianity seems to be more and more prevalent, this idea of Christianity being like a self-help program or self-improvement program. We hear this kind of nonsense preached from the pulpit of of Joel Osteen. It sounds to me oftentimes like... Like an Anthony Robbins seminar, without walking on hot coals, and and you have to pay, of <laughs> course, uh, or contribute to the uh, to, to the offering plate at some point during the service. But it it almost well, it doesn't almost it outright cheapens grace and and turns what God is meaning to be this wonderful experience of, as you suggest, not just withholding punishment, but then giving to us. It, it really short-circuits and robs us of the fullness of His grace when we see it as just this sort of self-help and help or self-improvement program.
3: Yeah. God doesn't want to make us better. He wants to make dead people alive in Christ. I mean, our, our old way of life was empty. Uh, Peter uh, really nailed it in his first letter when he said that life that was handed down to us from our moms and dads is nothing but an empty life. Uh, You can slice it every way you, you can and it still comes up empty. So God sent Jesus to put an end to that old life and to raise us up with him so we could walk in the newness of life. And that newness of life is a life lived by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Um, and, and we really have to learn to embrace that simplicity. And and here's where the difficulty lies, Craig. Faith is a foreign concept to us until Christ comes in our lives. And then we start to discover what a life of faith is all about. So constantly from You know, Genesis through Revelations, we see these reminders. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Those who put their confidence in the Lord, those who believe the Lord, that's the one thing that God is looking for from us, a heart that believes Him. And in that faith all kinds of incredible things happen in our day-to-day lives. But
1: why is it that so often, Bob, we wind up getting bogged down in fear and in guilt and it, it, it becomes, I, I think, of we see this every once in a while, some of these extreme sports programs on TV and you watch these guys going water rafting and all of a sudden they're heading down and they think they're having the grand old time and all of a sudden the, the, the torment of the water overcomes the, the raft and overcomes them. They might find themselves Suddenly, out of control and running off the edge, like you're about to head, you know, right over the the edge of the, I don't know, uh, Niagara Falls or something. And, and suddenly, you become absolutely overwhelmed by fear and guilt, just like the guys get overwhelmed by the torrent of water when they get out of control. How, how do you how do you go about extracting yourself from that when the flow of the current is so fast?
3: Well, Craig, that's a great great point, and and boy, a beautiful analogy there as far as fear in our lives. Um, You know, fear has to do with punishment. That's how John connected it in his, his first letter, and he says, Perfect love casts away that fear. And if we're really going to grow in grace and embrace this new life that we have in Christ, we first have to settle that forgiveness issue. We have to recognize that the blood of Jesus actually did take away our sins once and for all. Um, That is, I think, one of the most critical Truths that, that we need to latch on to and really take our stand upon. And that's the fact that when we receive Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins. Um, Paul said it twice, once in his book to the Ephesians, once in his letter to Colossians, that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, are you in Christ? And if you answer yes, then you can ask, well, what do you have according to these passages? Well, it says redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the question that follows that is, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that right now, at this very moment, you have forgiveness of sins? And that becomes the real issue. If I struggle right there... That's when fear can take hold of my life.
1: And we're going to pause on that point. When we come back, I want you to share with our listeners the uh, uh, Binaca story. I think it'll, it'll paint a nice picture that will ideally illustrate the challenge here, particularly in that sense where sometimes we struggle with the notion that His grace is insufficient for us because we see ourselves as being unworthy and unlovable. And there's nothing worse when we end up getting caught. We'll come back to more of the conversation. With Bob Christopher as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Simple Gospel, Simply Grace. Bob Christopher, my guest on this segment of Lifeline. And um, Bob, as we talk about the struggles that we often have with this notion of uh, feeling unworthy, unlovable, sometimes uh, just feeling uncomfortable with the fact that we feel this sense of fear and guilt. Uh, you've got a great story in the book about uh, your experience as a young man uh, with um, Binaka, which I have to be honest with you, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, I remember that. didn't realize they still made it. <laughs> but tell us a bit about that story. I think it, I Ideally helps illustrate this point.
3: Well well Craig, it, it was uh, an experience in seventh or eighth grade, I got involved in a shoplifting gang and we would go into drug stores and, and we would just steal things and things that we didn't need. and one of those things that we stole quite often uh, was this little breath freshener spray called Banaka. Well, one night, uh, Friday night, I spent the night with my friend David and we went out and went to one of those stores and we stole some banaca and we stole a lock. Why? It just for the challenge of it, I guess. And, uh, so we came back home and, you know, I went home the next day and as, as things would have it, David's mom went into his room and started cleaning up and he, and, and she found the lock and she asked David, uh, where'd you get this and uh... he said well we stole it and you know he just he just he just caved like any person would and uh... you know his moms do um, you know, she dug a little deeper and, and David told the whole story about, you know, Bob actually stole it and we got Banaka too. And so she, uh, you know, tried to figure out what to do and then she picked up the phone and called my mom. And, uh, that next Monday I was delivering papers. Uh, I had skipped out on my band. Band rehearsal. I was a truant, so, you know, I'm a thief and a truant. And, uh, you know, mom's not real pleased with me. And uh, she says, Get in the car. And I'm like, No, it's a beautiful day. And finally she says, Banaka. And I was just done. I unraveled right then and there and knew I had been caught. And, you know, I could just imagine the punishment that was coming my way. And, uh, mom and dad decided they were going to take me back to every store that i had stolen something from and i was going to get in front of the manager and confess what i had done and they were going to leave my punishment in these managers hands and fortunately for me they were lenient and just required that i pay back uh... pay them the money for the things that i i stole which i did Um but that didn't relieve my guilt because i knew you know, my sin held something with God, and at that point, I just walked on eggshells, wondering what God was going to do with me. I knew punishment was just around the corner, and that fear just overcame me in such a way that every time I sinned, I felt Jesus left me. And so, I had this formula: I'd confess, I would I would would ask God to forgive, and then I would ask Christ to come back in my life, and I probably. Prayed 500 different times during my teenage years for Jesus to come back and live in my life because I didn't know what he had actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And finally, I went to a Bible study, and the teacher started explaining Colossians chapter 2 when you were dead and your trans breath transpasses and sins he made you alive together with christ he forgave all your sins and that forgiveness just poured over me just washed over me and finally i rested in the finished work of jesus and that fear of punishment went away because i knew jesus had taken my punishment for me and in exchange for that he gave me his righteousness That's a pretty good deal. That's what grace is all about. God giving to us what we do not deserve. But because he loves us so much, he was willing to send Jesus to take our punishment for us so that we could stand in his presence as righteous as Jesus Christ himself.
1: Let's get to some calls. We're going to head over to uh, Lee in Palo Alto. Lee, come on in with your comment or question for Bob Christopher.
4: Oh, the Banaka story was wonderful. I think uh, probably a lot of people could identify with it. I sure could. I remember beating myself up for years. But one thing that I wanted to ask, and I don't know how to ask it without sounding kind of like uh, expecting too much. Um, or or putting a demand on God, which would be like a sin in and of itself. Uh, but my question would be, when you know you're forgiven, when you know that it's finished, how do you um, somehow experience God's grace? Not, not like the everyday grace where we have our health, we have the sun, we have our needs and whatever, but... God's unmerited favor on a day-to-day basis with Him actually walking with us. Um, I I don't know if I asked that right. I just I'm yeah. not talking about well, salvation. I think I, I'm, I'm
3: following what you're saying there, uh, Lee. As as far as how we experience the grace of God, I, I think the first way we experience it is 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 by resting in His finished work. You know, most of us are, are tense inside, we're anxious inside, because we're not sure if God really loves us or not, or if God has forgiven us or not. And when we finally come to that point and recognize that the work has been finished, we experience this sense of rest. Uh, inside of us. So that's the first way we experience it. And then we experience it um, by the Word of God becoming strong in our lives and and us learning to say no to the temptations uh, of, of this world and the temptations of sin. We recognize that what the world has to offer is just empty. And so I think we see a a sense of victory in our lives as far as the world is concerned. And then I think the third way that we experience the grace of God is is by really getting to know the heart of the Father and learning to see the world through His eyes and people through His eyes. And we get so caught up on in morality and trying to make the world a better place but God sees people's hearts and he and He sees people in one of two ways you either belong to him or you're still lost and dead in sin and when we see it from God's perspective then our hearts start to melt and we want to reach out with that gospel message so the, the grace just gives us um, I, I think deeper insight into the very heart of of God the Father and what His love is all about for this world and the people that we shoulder uh, with every single day of our lives. Does that help, Lee?
4: Yeah, it does. It helps greatly. I, I remember in the Old Testament where you had these people that poured out their hearts to God, like Hannah, who couldn't have the child, and and when she was in the temple with Eli, and and she just poured out her heart, and and God gave her the grace of answering that prayer. And I think the third one, because I, I know in my case, I, I know I'm saved, and I'm in the Bible often, and around other believers, but I want to see the, the, the Holy Spirit type, um, uh, how could I put it, like answer to prayer more than just, in in our area, maybe it's just, this area it seems like there's a lot of christians but we're kind of impotent
3: well i think you're I think you're right because um you know our greatest asset as far as believers are concerned is is a knowledge of god we really know what god is like because jesus christ has has made that known to us you know when we see jesus we see the father and so as we grow in our relationship With Jesus, and as we grow in our knowledge of who He is, I think we're going to see our hearts melt toward the world in a way that we want to reach out and and connect those people to the love of Christ just as we have been connected to the love of Christ. So just uh, just make it your prayer that Lord, I want to grow in your grace. I want to grow in in the knowledge of who you are and I guarantee you that's a prayer he will answer and you will see that being answered in time.
1: Very helpful. All right, we appreciate your call tonight, Lee. I guess part of this too is 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 the ongoing struggle that we have with the flesh, Bob. Um, we we at a level because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognize that we are in need of of forgiveness. Uh, we recognize that we have sinned and offended a holy and righteous God, and and yet it's difficult for us sometimes. Once having had His grace extended to us, to fully accept that, embrace that, and I guess at certain levels, um, even learn uh, the concept of forgiving ourselves as much as God has forgiven us. I got a kick in your book. You make reference to this, I think, shows the, the level at which mankind struggles with this, that Stanford University here in our backyard actually has something they call the Forgiveness Project.
3: Yes, yes, they do, and, and they're trying to figure out if forgiveness is really an essential part of, of well-being and health and uh, you know normal relationships, and they're discovering that that's that that's the case. Um, but but they spend a lot of time on this idea of forgiving ourselves, and, and it's interesting when you when you scour the Word of God. There's no place there where God says you need to forgive yourself. What he does say is stand firmly in the forgiveness that I've given you in Christ. And when you recognize that, then you're able to let go of the past. You're able to let go of those things that you've been dragging around in life for years and years and years. So when, when we stand firmly in what Christ has accomplished, that's when we can really forgive ourselves and let go of the past and fully embrace um, the resurrected Christ here and now.
1: Bob, we sure appreciate the time and the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com and uh, Bob's website too, simplegospelsimplygrace.com. And there again is Bob Christopher, host of the call-in radio program, Basic Gospel.